Welcome to Always Responding, a podcast by first responders for first responders. I'm KB, a 19-year veteran of law enforcement. And I'm Sean, a retired 22-year veteran of law enforcement. KB and I are so blessed to have made it through our careers somewhat healthy and for the most part mentally strong. Unfortunately, there are so many of our fellow brother and sister first responders who are unable to say the same. They feel like it's starting to unravel and things are getting dark. They may feel alone, scared, like no one feels the same way they do. Thinking if I say something to someone, I may be looked upon as weak or I may lose my job. Well, this is a stigma that surrounds the first responder community that we here at Always Responding are hoping to put an end to. We are losing our brothers and sisters to their own hands at a record pace. And part of it has to do with the stress and trauma they endure and not being able to manage it and feel like they can openly talk to someone about the issues they are going through. We believe it is so important to have open line of communication at every department. Fire, police, EMS, corrections, and dispatch. It starts with the leaders at these departments and it has to be taught at the beginning stages. Teach the new hires how the stress and trauma of this chosen career is going to really have an impact on their lives and their families' lives. Have first responders who have dealt with major trauma and the effects come in to speak to these classes. Give them firsthand experience of what it's really like on the streets in the jails, taking 911 calls, responding to three alarm fires, and arriving on a three-car pileup. You know, it has to start somewhere and needed to start yesterday, but better late than never. We've had so many of our brothers and sisters out there who are hurting, struggling, begging for our help, but are too scared, too afraid, or too proud to ask for it. We need to do better at recognizing when someone we work with, a friend, a partner, a supervisor is hurting. Don't be afraid to say something. Do something. It could save a life. If you're not sure where to go or who to call, there are several organizations out there to help first responders who are struggling and are looking for answers. You can find several of those organizations on our website, www.alwaysrespondingpodcast.com. Click on the resource tab, and there you will find several of the organizations with the link to their websites and the phone numbers. One of those organizations is First Help. First Help prides itself on taking action. Donations to the organization fund support for the families that have lost first responders to suicide, training for agencies seeking to prevent suicide, and work that leads to a legislative and policy change across the country. As of today, there have been 82 law enforcement officers, 11 firefighters, 5 correction officers, and 1 dispatcher who have committed suicide this year alone. These numbers are updated daily by Blue Help. On a personal level, our organization unfortunately was one of the ones who lost an officer this past week to suicide. She was a young officer in the prime of her life at the beginning stages of her career. Like we always say, it can happen to anyone, anywhere. It's so important to ask for help if you're struggling, if you're feeling like there's no way out. There are so many people and organizations out here that want to help and are here to help. They are just a phone call away or an email away. It can be totally anonymous. No one from your department will ever need to know. You can also always call 988 the new Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. We just ask that if you are struggling and are needing help, please reach out. You're not alone. We are all in this together. We are all first responders, and we're always responding for each other. Always Responding pays tribute to first responders who paid the ultimate sacrifice and were killed in the line of duty. Unfortunately, those numbers keep rising, and we are up to 155 law enforcement officers killed in the line of duty this year so far. We will now read the names of the latest officers who paid the ultimate sacrifice and were killed in the line of duty. Police Officer Anthony Mazurkiewicz, Rochester Police Department, New York. End of watch, Thursday, July 21st. Police Officer Tony Mazurkiewicz was shot and killed while conducting surveillance on Bauman Street at 9.15 p.m. 
As part of a murder investigation, Officer Mazurkiewicz and another officer were in an unmarked police vehicle when the subject walked up from behind and fired 17 rounds. The other officer exited the passenger side and returned fire, but did not strike the subject, who fled. Officer Mazurkiewicz was shot at least twice in the upper body. Officer Mazurkiewicz was transported to Strong Memorial Hospital where he succumbed to his wounds. His partner was shot in the lower body and transported to Rochester General Hospital where he was treated and released. A 15-year-old girl was grazed by a bullet that entered her home during the ambush. The subject was found an hour later hiding in a crawl space in a vacant home. He has been charged with second-degree murder, attempted second-degree murder, second-degree assault, and two counts of criminal possession of a weapon. Officer Mazurkowitz had served with the Rochester Police Department for 29 years and previously served with Monroe County Sheriff's Department. He is survived by his wife, four children, three grandchildren, parents, brother, and sister. He was 54 years old, been with the department for 29 years, badge number 557. Deputy Sheriff Matthew Yates, Clark County Sheriff's Office of Ohio. End of watch, Sunday, July 24th, 2022. Deputy Sheriff Matthew Yates was shot and killed while responding to a shots fire call at the 1100 block of Ashwood Drive in South Charleston. At 10.51 a.m., Clark County Sheriff's Office received a 911 call reporting that a female subject had broken into a residence and fired five or six shots. When Deputy Yates and other deputies attempted to check the mobile home, they were met with gunfire. Deputy Yates was shot inside the trailer and was trapped inside for hours during the standoff with the subject. Clark County Special Operations and other tactical teams were called to rescue him. Deputy Yates was flown to Miami Valley Hospital where he succumbed to his injuries. A second deputy was injured while trying to escape the gunfire. Deputy Yates served with the Clark County Sheriff's Office for 15 years. He is survived by his wife, daughter, two stepsons, and father who retired from the Clark County Sheriff's Office. He was 41 years of age. He served for 15 years. Sergeant John Harold Astry, Fairborn Police Department, Georgia. End of watch, Thursday, July 28th. Sergeant John Harold Astry was killed in a four-car crash at Caps Ferry Road near Brookcrest Court in Douglasville. He was driving an unmarked police Dodge Charger northbound when it collided with a truck traveling in the southbound lane. The truck spun and crashed into an SUV traveling northbound. Sergeant Astry's car crossed into the southbound lane and struck another truck head-on. The occupants and the three other vehicles were transported to local hospitals with non-life-threatening injuries. Sergeant Astry succumbed to his injuries at the scene. Sergeant Astry was a United States Air Force Reserve veteran who served with the Fairborn Police Department for over five years. He had previously served with the Lovejoy Police Department, Villa Rica Police Department, Atlanta Police Department, and the New York City Police Department. He is survived by his wife, two sons, two daughters, and brother. He was 54 years old, been with the police department for 17 years, six months, and he was a military veteran. Mounted Deputy Nicole Schuff of Clare County Sheriff's Department, Michigan. End of watch, Friday, July 29th, 2022. Mounted Deputy Nicole Schuff succumbed to injuries sustained four days earlier when the horse she was riding fell as she responded to a medical call at the Clare County Fair. She was getting off of her horse to render aid to the citizen when the horse suddenly lost its footing and fell back. Deputy Schuff suffered a serious head injury as a result. Deputy Schuff was kept on life support so her organs could be donated. Deputy Schuff has served as a volunteer deputy with the Clare County Sheriff's Office for two years. She is survived by her husband. She was 33 years of age, badge number 18P14. Deputy Sheriff Lorenzo Bustos, Smith County Sheriff's Office, Texas. End of watch, Friday, July 29th. 
Deputy Sheriff Lorenzo Bustos was struck and killed by a drunk driver at about 12.50 while making a traffic stop in the 14,000 block of State Highway 155. He and his field training officer had conducted a traffic stop shortly before midnight and had taken two occupants of the vehicle into custody. While they were completing their investigation of the initial traffic stop, another vehicle struck Deputy Bustos as he stood behind his patrol SUV. The impact pushed Deputy Bustos beneath the patrol vehicle. His partner, who was sitting in the passenger seat at the time of the crash, immediately started rendering aid. Deputy Bustos was transported to a local hospital where he succumbed to his injuries about five hours later. The driver who struck him was charged with intoxication manslaughter. Deputy Bustos had served with the Smith County Sheriff's Office for six months and was on his final night of field training. He had previously served with the Rusk County Sheriff's Office for one year and the Henderson Police Department for one year. He is survived by his wife and three children. He was 29 years old, been with the department for two years and six months. Deputy Sheriff Jamie Reynolds, Spalding County Sheriff's Office, Georgia. End of watch, Sunday, July 31st, 2022. Deputy Sheriff Jamie Reynolds was killed when a large pine tree fell on his patrol car as he drove along Georgia Highway 16 near Shoal Creek Road. The tree crushed the passenger cabin of the vehicle, killing Deputy Reynolds instantly. Deputy Reynolds had served with the Spalding County Sheriff's Office for two years and had previously served with the Forest Park Police Department for 25 years. He is survived by his wife and his two children. He served for 27 years. Police Officer Noah Shanavaz, Elwood Police Department, Indiana, end of watch, Sunday, July 31st. Police Officer Noah Shanavaz was shot and killed while making a traffic stop near the intersection of Madison Avenue and Route 37 about 2 a.m. The driver of the vehicle he stopped exited his car and opened fire on Officer Shanavaz before fleeing in his car. The man then led officers on a pursuit after he was located in Hamilton County. The subject continued to fire at officers during the pursuit until officers with the Fishers Police Department conducted a pit maneuver. Officer Shanavaz was transported to a local hospital and then flown to a hospital in Indianapolis where he succumbed to his wounds. The subject who shot him was a convicted felon who had been previously convicted of shooting at police officers in Indianapolis. He was charged with murder and other charges after murdering Officer Shanavaz. Officer Shanavaz was a U.S. Army veteran and had served with the Elwood Police Department for 11 months. He is survived by his parents and siblings. He was 24 years old, been with the department for 11 months, and was a military veteran. Sergeant Matthew Fishman of the Wayne County Sheriff's Office, North Carolina. End of watch, Tuesday, August 2nd, 2022. Sergeant Matthew Fishman was shot and killed while serving involuntary commitment papers on the 2500 block of Arrington Bridge Road in Dudley. The subject fired at Sergeant Fishman and two other deputies as they arrived at the home about 10.30 a.m. The man barricaded himself inside the house until a SWAT team entered at 8 p.m. and found him dead from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Sergeant Fishman was transported to ECU Medical Center where he succumbed to his wounds the next day. The two other deputies were transported to ECU Medical Center in the Wayne UNC Hospital in stable condition. Sergeant Fishman had served with the Wayne County Sheriff's Office for 12 years and had previously served with the Mount Olive Police Department. He is survived by his wife, two children, and father. He was 38 years of age and he served for 12 years. Special Police Officer Marika Mannion, District of Columbia, Public Library Office of Public Safety, District of Columbia, end of watch, Thursday, August 4th. Special Police Officer Marika Mannion was accidentally shot and killed during a baton training inside the training room in the Anacostia Neighborhood Library at 1800 Good Hope Road, Southeast. Several officers were undergoing baton training when the contracted trainer, a retired police lieutenant from another agency, inadvertently shot her during a demonstration at about 3.30 p.m. Officer Mannion was transported to a local hospital where she succumbed to her wounds. The trainer was charged with involuntary manslaughter. She was 25 years old. Deputy Sheriff Andrew Peary, El Paso County Sheriff's Office, Colorado. End of watch, Sunday, August 7th, 2022. Deputy Sheriff Andrew Peary 
was shot and killed while responding to a shots fire call at 5.30 p.m. at Ponderosa Drive and Grand Boulevard in Widefield. A Fountain Police Department officer, Deputy Peary, and another deputy responded to the shooting call. When they arrived in the area, they were immediately met with gunfire. Deputy Peary was transported to UC Health Memorial Hospital where he succumbed to his wounds at 8.07 p.m. A woman was found dead in the home's front yard, presumed to be shot by the subject. The subject committed suicide inside the home. Deputy Peary was a United States Army veteran who had served with the El Paso County Sheriff's Office for six years and was a SWAT team member. He is survived by his wife and two children. He was 39 years old. He had served with the department for six years. His badge number is 16120, and he was a military veteran. We'll also pay tribute to all canine officers killed in the line of duty. We will now read the names of the following canine officers who have paid the ultimate sacrifice. Canine Frankie, Massachusetts State Police, Massachusetts. End of watch, Tuesday, July 26, 2022. Canine Frankie was shot and killed after he and his handler had responded to a barricade at 40 Oliver Street in Fitchburg. Officers had gone to the home to serve a firearms-related warrant at approximately 9 a.m. The subject barricaded himself inside for several hours as he spoke to negotiators. The man stated he would surrender, but shot Canine Frankie as his handler approached him. The man committed suicide several hours later. Canine Frankie and his handler had been awarded the Medal of Valor in 2017. Canine Frankie had served with the Massachusetts State Police for nine years. He was a Belgian Malinois, he was male, he was 10 years old, and he served the department for nine years. Canine Max, Lake Wales Police Department, Florida. End of watch, Wednesday, August 3rd. Canine Max was shot and killed while attempting an apprehension of a domestic violence and shooting suspect near West Seminole Avenue. Officers were called to the area by the victim of the assault after her boyfriend had choked her and slammed her head on the pavement before firing shots in the roadway. The men had fled the scene prior to officers arriving at the scene, but it reappeared as they investigated the incident. As the officers confronted him, he ran into a wooded area and refused to obey commands. Canine Max was released for an apprehension and bit the subject, who then produced a 9mm handgun and shot him. Other officers returned fire and killed the suspect. Canine Max was a Belgian Malinois, male, aged 7 years old. Always Responding pays tribute to all first responders who have paid the ultimate sacrifice. We will now read the names of those brave firefighters who lost their lives in the line of duty. Firefighter fatalities in the United States currently set at 65. Here are the names of the latest to pay the ultimate sacrifice. Brian Falk, Captain. End of watch, July 14, 2022, of the Kern County Fire Department, Bakersfield, California. On Thursday, July 14, 2022, Captain Brian Falk was at the fire station when he was found unresponsive by fellow firefighters. He was pronounced deceased at the scene. The cause and the nature of the death are under investigation. Captain Falk was 47 years old. Austin Duran, Firefighter EMT, end of watch, July 15, 2022, Opapaka Fire Department, Florida. On Thursday, June 30th, firefighter EMT Austin Duran and another firefighter were moving a sand trailer to another fire station. In the process of hooking it up, the trailer fell, pinning down firefighter EMT Duran. He was immediately taken to the hospital where he remained in the intensive care unit until his passing on Friday, July 15th. Firefighter EMT Duran was 25 years old. Jared Bird and Thomas Hayes, both pilots at Salmon Chalice National Forest. End of watch, July 21st, 2022. On Thursday, July 21st, 2022, pilots Thomas Hayes and Jared Bird were fighting in the Moose Fire in Idaho 
when their helicopter crashed in the Salmon River. Both pilots were transported to the hospital but died from their injuries a short time later. Jared was 36 years old and Thomas was 41 years old. Bryant McGowan, firefighter cadet, Huntsville Fire and Rescue, Huntsville, Alabama. On Thursday, July 28, 2022, firefighter cadet Bryant McGowan was at a training exercise when he suffered a medical emergency and collapsed. He was immediately taken to the Huntsville Hospital where he passed away a short time later. Investigation into the incident continues. End of watch, July 28, 2022. Riley Daniel Ray Hurets, firefighter. Grand Rapids Volunteer Fire Department, Wisconsin Rapids, Wisconsin. Firefighter Riley Daniel Ray Hures responded to a working fire on the evening of July 30th, 2022. On his way back from the fire, a call came in for a motor vehicle crash. Fighter Fire Hures, along with another member of his fire department, responded to the crash scene. After these two responses, he returned home. Then sometime between 2 and 6 a.m. on July 31st, 2022, Firefighter Hures reportedly suffered a brain aneurysm. He was subsequently transported to the hospital where he passed away on August 3, 2022. Always Responding will continue to pay tribute each and every episode to all the brave men and women who pay the ultimate sacrifice so that they are never forgotten. Be sure to log on to our website at www.alwaysrespondingpodcast.com. Click on the Tribute tab, and there you can honor these fallen heroes yourself by leaving a message on their page. We owe each and every one of these fallen heroes our gratitude and respect, and we pray for their families each and every day. Godspeed, and may they rest in peace. So Sean, we've both been in law enforcement collectively for uh, going over 40 years now. And I know you've been out of it for a little bit and I've going on 20 years myself. But just going back to when, when we first started and we were pushing black and whites uh, on the yard quite a few years ago, less uh, gray hair ago, I guess I should say. Several. Yeah. Do you believe, just your opinion, I guess, do you think there was more stress on us then as new officers or do you think there's more stress on the new officers and I guess maybe even first first responders you know in general now I like I'd like to say that I think I believe now there's a lot more stress on these newer officers and the first responders this day and age as compared to when you and I came on the job what, what do you think that what, what's your reasoning behind that I would say with technology it's caused a lot more stress on newer officers first responders with body-worn cameras those type of things have, have really played an impact in causing a lot more stress on officers and how they do their job Right. I mean, there are some out there that, that may argue that the body-worn cameras, I mean, this could come from both sides. I mean, this could come from the public. This could come from the police side as well, that the body-worn cameras work better now. I mean, because there's more of uh, transparency. But I, I mean, I guess I, I could see both sides from that argument that with the body-worn cameras, you can see what the cops are doing. But also it could be a twofold too, because there's a lot of that people will send up to IA or, or complain on officers that... As unfounded. I can see both ways with that. And it really opened, like you said, the transparency on both sides, you know, whether it's an unfounded complaint that comes in yeah, uh, or, or whether or not, like I said, it comes, it can, it can play on both sides. But I think, I think that's just a, it's played a huge role, at least for, for my time when the body worn cameras came into play, whether it was a, a complaint that could become and come unfounded or how you wrote your reports, how you were supervised for that, for that matter. And, and uh, I can, I, for us, I can say what I experienced is I found a lot lot of how your maybe some of your supervisors maybe supervised you they supervise you how through your body worn camera and as compared yeah. to being out in the field right. with you when you were working back in patrol and it, I mean, it, it could go back from when you first started you know throughout your whole 21 22 year career what were some of the things that you would do to alleviate the stress of the job 
uh, for me, I found it so important to be able to go ahead and try, do my best to try to, when, when the day was over is leave it at the door or le- or leave it in the truck at, at the time to be able to have that time with my, my family or friends, uh, have those outside interests that I was able to go ahead for me and, and, and my family and loved ones or friends and spend that time with them and be able to, uh, have that separation from, from the job. That's those are like, whether it was the working out, going to the gym, playing some old guy basketball or if it's uh or if it was just hanging out and laying low and that, you know it's funny sean you say that because that's one of my mottos here on, on the show and you'll get to know that really well because i i pushed out every episode leave work at work and when i was an fto many moons ago all the new kids i call them kids because i'm old as dirt but all the new kids that would come out from the academy that was one of the first things that we talked about i had a couple mottos one was don't let me miss lunch you can it happens and i won't get really mad and my other one was don't let me not go home and after the shift. But one of the things we talked about, leave work at work. You know, the gates from the, uh, from the stations at night close. When they close, leave everything that happened behind those gates because the job's always going to be here. Crime was crime before you and I started, you know, 20 years ago. Crime is crime right now. And crime's going to be crime after you and I are long gone from this long world. Long gone. Very um, long gone. It'll, it'll still be here. And yep. and it's very easy to go ahead and, uh, and you know, at times I was, I was guilty of it. It becomes, you become so invested in what you're doing for that position, whether it was uh, behind the leash of a canine dog or being in narcotics or pushing a black and white, you become so invested in that position that it, 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 it can and has at times take, takes over a lot of your, a lot of your life. And in, unless you have those people or in friends and family in your life to, to, to help point out to you that, you know, Hey, at the end of the day, when, when it's time to, time to go home and uh, time to be, be with your family, take advantage of that time. Cause we can't get that time back. That's what's, that's what I have found. There's some calls that we go on that you don't want to talk to your loved ones about. You know, there's such a dynamic call or such a crazy call or something that you just don't want to share. Whatever the case may be, it might be a, you know, a shooting or it could have been, you know, you went on a a very bad accident or whatever the case may be. And it's so difficult not sharing that because then that creates a division between you and your your husband, your wife, your partner, whatever the case may be. And then if you continue that through a full 15, 20, 25 year career, and it just builds such a, a, a distance between you and your partner and your loved one. That's where the divorce comes into play. That's where um, your domestic violence and your alcoholism and all these other vices come into play. And that's why we, you know you have your your issues with alcoholism. You have your, you have your issues with um, your trauma, and then the suicides come into play because if you don't have somebody to talk to and that you can trust to talk to or resources to reach out to, and then you build in the whole administration aspect of it, and you don't feel comfortable going to anybody higher up to talk to. Unfortunately, a lot of these people felt like they had no other choice. I mean, that's sad. And you hit the nail on the head with the trust issue, having that trust, whether it be, whether it be within your own family or your administration or the, or the people you work with. And if you don't have that trust in those people in your, in your life that you can share the daily ins and outs of what we're seeing as, as first responders, because it's, it's something that a lot of times it's hard to explain and find those words that somebody that maybe doesn't do the exact job that you or I did or do for them to understand what we saw for the day and how that, how that impacts us, not only, you know, at that moment, but how we carry it out through the next day. I think it's important for new officers, new first responders, firefighters, EMS workers, anybody coming onto the job just starting out to have something built into the training aspect of it. Because, you know, like when you and I started out, you know, they taught us how to do our defensive tactics. They taught us how to shoot a gun. They taught us how to write a report. 
Um, they taught us how to drive a car, but they never taught us how during our career, when we went on to these um, dynamic calls and dealt with trauma and how to deal with that mentally, that we never had any training on that. You know, there wasn't like a, a class or any kind of long-term training aspects on that. There needs to be something like that, I it, think. It was, uh, it, and like you said, it was the, if, if it was there, it was glazed over mm-hmm. and it really wasn't made to be expressed to how important it is for, for the, us or for for those that are still out there as first responders to have that to have those avenues and like you said a lot of times uh, there's it's not it's not preached about what what you can do to make yourself mentally better it's about uh, what they want you back to the back to work back on the street back right. on the job and they want you to keep pushing forward and you, and you have to to some degree but you got you got to be able to have that that outlet you know those 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 resources and and I think unfortunately uh, even till to this day a lot of a lot of those resources aren't shared and that's why having a podcast like this and, di- and different outlets like like we have to go ahead and share it and to for the officers and first responders that they that they know that there's folks that like us and uh, others that are there for them. No, 100%. And I think, you know, uh, being able to reach out and, and touch, if we can just touch one person uh, that's struggling and having issues and let them know that they're they're not alone and that there are resources out there. You know, like I will mention at the end of our podcast today, you know, on our website, www.alwaysrespondingpodcast.com, there's a resource tab on there. If you go onto that resource tab, there's a ton of um, resources out there, not to keep saying resources, but they are out there and they're available for you. If you click on any of them, it'll take you, take you right to their website and they'll be able to provide you all the information you, you want to be able to t- uh, reach out to somebody and uh, they'll get you as much help as you need or want and require. Uh, they're here for us. They're here for us first responders. They're looking for help and needing help and it's all anonymous. Uh, your organization, your administration will never find out. That's kind of a, a touchy topic because um, Sean and I were talking yesterday, you know, internally with some of the stuff that your administration and your departments have for being able to talk to whether or not you're having struggles or, you know, issues and stuff that you may go to a peer um, part of your department. Sometimes they reach out and they, they, they tell you that they're confidential, but in actuality, sometimes they're really how confidential are they really, you know, so they could be, but are they really, if they're still embedded with the department, um, you know, it's hard to say. So it, it really makes it tough for, it those, for those, those people, those officers, those first responders to share, share their, what they're going through, what they're really thinking, uh, post, post event and know that you have 100% confidentiality when there's, is such a, a close knit tie with these, these different resources that agencies, uh, supply to their, their first responders. And, and to know that, that this isn't going to affect you long-term in your career, uh, whether whether it be the position you hold at the time or the position you hope to to hope to acquire later on, I I just think it's a it leaves a lot of a lot of doubt in a lot of people's minds. And that's why we say that uh, with these other resources that we provide through um, our website, it's very important to maybe go through those if you are feeling uncomfortable about your own organization's um, resources because these are 100% confidentiality and are confidential, I should say, and they're your a department will never find out. Um, they're not going to take, they're not going to tell your department that's between you and the organization that you decide to go through. So, um, I strongly suggest that, and Sean does as well, that if you're looking to have somebody to talk to and you're struggling with issues, reach out to one of these as well. Um, they're here for you. Now, Sean, and we were talking also last night, um, you know, with the job and everything and, and how long that we've been on it. So do you feel like when you were working during your 22 uh, years on, on the, the, the department, was there ever a time 
and from the beginning to when you when you were finished, that you feel like the job ever was getting to you. You ever feel like the stress level was getting to the point where just job wise, I can say yeah. To, to be honest with you, to be honest with you, KB, I'd be lying if I didn't if I said no. Uh, you know that. That stress took its toll on me, whether it was my, my sleep pattern, probably, uh, not probably, so, uh, with relationships you ha- I had in my life, you know, uh, you become so, uh, use the word consumed by, you know, a lot of times by, this, by the stress that, that, you, uh, that you're dealing with from the job. And then that's not only, maybe not just that critical incident you dealt with during the day, maybe it's in uh, the internal issues within the, within the section or, or place that you're working at the time. No, I can say uh, for me personally, um, how about yourself? No, oh, 100%. And it boiled down to the section. You know, and it's funny that you say that because I was working a swing shift and it got to the point so bad that my, my wife came to me and she's like, listen, you are so angry and you just hate everybody right now. She goes, you, you either get off that shift or you're going to be moving out of this house. Um, <laughs> I'm like, okay, I will get off the shift. And it was, it was the shift. It was the environment. Um, Probably, I want to say probably it was 100% a lot to do with the people I was working around. You know, just different personalities will will tear you apart sometimes and, you know, drag you down. You know, like you know as well as I do with the type A personalities and a a close environment, you know, working day in and day out and uh, the pressures of... uh, whatever, whatever cases you're working or jobs you're doing for the, for the department or critical instance you're responding to and, and add in the pressures from the, the type A personalities to include your, to include your own supervisors. That can be a lot. And it's like we talked about before to, it's, it's hard to check that at the gate or leave it at the door. It is. I I know. I, like I said, I try to preach it now, but you know, it's easier said than done. Well, I was, I was told a long time ago and I, I, I should have, uh, (laughs) probably done a little bit more done a better job for me you know i was told by a a, a retired police officer before i got hired he's like hey you know hey make sure the job is not what you do not who you become and uh you know unfortunately i can say at times where i was so consumed by having such a great time chasing, <laughs> chasing bad guys doing all the fun things that we got to go do uh that it does become you know who you are at some point at least it did for me and uh, now you look back and you're able to step away and get that uh 500 foot to thousand foot view of of, right. of what life's really about and what's important yeah, it, 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 you know, it kind of wakes you up a little bit and you got, you know, a different perspective. I mean, sometimes it takes going through something very dynamic to kind of wake you up and see what's really important in, in your life. And, you know, it, it you know, it, it, it took her to kind of wake me up and, and see. I, I kind of knew, you know, how I was and, and kind of where I was going and kind of the, uh, how angry I was. But it took her to kind of not, not physically smack me, but, you know, emotionally smack me to say, wake, wake up. What are you doing? But yeah, best decision I ever made is to walk away from where I was at. Um, you know, and speaking, you'd mentioned, you know, your, your, your life away from work and, and relationships and stuff like that. Um, so your, your wife, uh, who I know personally and very good friend of mine, I've worked with her as long as I've known you, I've known her. And now I actually, um, I work with her as well, but she's on the job. And with that situation and, and kind of adds a different twist to law enforcement and, and stress and how that kind of changes a little bit of the dynamic of everything. But with when you and her were working, obviously you guys didn't work together, but when you and her worked um, at the same time on the, on, the, on the job, what was that stress like? It was stressful. You know, she had her, you know, her day in and day out stresses. And then you add in my, my day in and day out and it, uh, it puts its, uh, it puts its pressure and uh, really can, it really can be a lot for a couple that both are doing the job in some aspects 
specifics of it. But I can say now with being, being uh, you know, I've been stepping away and, and haven't been in retirement. And it's interesting, you know, the perspective that I've gained and, you know, as much as she may not like to hear it from me, you know, trying to share like, hey, once we're done for the day, let's let's leave that in the car or leave right. that at the gate. And it like, and I didn't follow these rules so much when I was when I was working at the same time. But, you know, it's um, the dynamics, the dynamics have changed. Uh, my stress levels are a lot less now. And oh, I can imagine. So I, I'm probably a better, I'm probably better a listener and a uh, uh, supporter now, now uh, being able to step away and see, see the importance of time and all those things that matter, matter more importantly. Now, does she practice the leave work at work mentality or does she bring a lot of her work home? Well, I would say she does a, f- a fair share of both. Uh, she does a, she does a really good job of, of leaving it leaving it at work. And but the, you know, there's those times where the phone rings or the yeah. email pops up, and and that makes a makes it tough to to really leave it at work. But she does a really good job, and I, I think that's um I think that's due to who she is as a person. She's she's pretty easygoing oh, in, yeah. in, the, in the sense that she can make those good decisions like that. But like I said, there's those times where you know you you do what she does, and the yeah. the email pops up or the I phone know. call pops up, and what are we doing about this or that or well, the house is on fire. Tell her some advice. Uh, leave your work phone at, at work. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> that's no what, kidding. That's what I do. So because you you are retired now and you're kind of living the, the, the lovely retirement life, what advice would you give to a new officer who's just starting the job out or not even necessarily a police officer, a fireman, EMS, a new first responder starting, starting out their, their career? I'd go back to what I was told uh, from those the pre-academy days from that old salty guy who I thought uh, that I thought, ah, oh, you don't know anything is, you know, uh, don't let that job become who you are as a person. Make sure that you maintain some healthy hobbies away from work. And what you've preached, what we've preached here now is, uh, you know, leaving it at the door or leaving it at the station. And I think those are, those are the biggest things I, I really, I, I'd say, you know, uh, once you once you're done for the day or your RDOs and uh, find find those things that make you happy. Don't don't lose your passion and love for for life just because you're so consumed by the by the new exciting job that you got. Yeah, and it it'd be funny. Wouldn't you like to go back to yourself, you know, twenty years ago and and just like shake yourself a little bit and say, uh, listen, listen to me, listen to him, listen to that old man. He knows what he's talking about. It's just cra- it is crazy if you could go back in time and just be like, hey, just a little tidbit for you to think. Listen to this guy. I know, right? Okay, so on the flip side of that, how about an old veteran who's maybe twenty years in, getting ready to retire? What's some advice for them? I'd say the same thing when you when you left and however however that was. Leave all that there, because uh, you're gonna you're gonna find two. Oh, that folds into the other part of it for me. Have those things like I told a new officer. Make sure you have hobbies and things to do. I think it's important for, for you know, for, for anybody in general on the job or off. When you leave, have that something to go do, and uh, you know, it's golf or it's riding a bike or something like that. But I, I'd say if you're you know maintain good friends like you you and I have since I've been gone and. Uh, have, maintain those relationships, but be able to have those relationships, but be able to have that line where you're not so consumed about what's still going on right. with the job. Be able to be able to have that separation, if that makes sense. No, hundred percent. You know what I think is going to be very interesting, or it's kind of is interesting, is I think a lot of officers and maybe first responders, but maybe I think more cops more than anything else. When they retire, I think they still have a mindset that a lot of people that are still in law enforcement or still working are still going to stay in contact with them like they did while they're working. 
Oh, that's a, but that, that, it doesn't happen that no, way, does it? No, it's um, uh, another retired officer who I know really well, and I, I spent a quite, a, quite quite a bit of time uh, hanging out with him. And he said really quickly to me when I retired, "Hey, be aware, all those gazillion people on the department who called you for a favor, needed this or needed that, uh, they're all going to disappear." And I was like, "Oh, come on, that we're those are my friends." Yeah. And you know what? Uh, you find in, you find out you know much in life who your true friends are, and you get you keep those close ones like yeah. like good people like yourself. And I guess for me, you appreciate them even more than it's it's crazy. No, isn't it? It, it, and you know people say you know keep your circle small. Circle, it's like it, a triangle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. It's it's amazing how that happens in life, and you have so many people. Like when you're on the top, you can provide things for people. You you have a ton of friends. Oh, absolutely, even millions. You you know they're they're all over the place. But the moment that you are coming down or not be able to provide as much as you used or to be. Or as relevant. Or relevant. Yeah, it's just, they just disappear. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And it's funny that happens that yeah. way. And, and that's what I'm saying for those those guys and gals retiring. Man, find that, find that thing. Uh, a nice lady said it to me. Uh, she's like, you know, every day you got to wake up and find that passion for something, whatever yeah. it is. And that's that, it. And, and it's the, it, it is the God, I'll, I'll, it's just the truth. Now that you are retired and you're living the, the high life now and enjoying the retirement, what are some of the things you're doing now that are allowing you to lower your stress level and you're not having that high stress that you were as a police officer? Oh, well, for me now, my day's consumed with uh, still training and playing with dogs. I'm uh, oh, yeah? fortunate enough to still, you know, whether it's some police dogs still and some uh, some normal floppy-eared pets <laughs> i get to, i get the i get the blessed opportunity to get to do that uh, through my through my company i started my own up my own dog training company dog up llc for oh. yeah doing i'm doing still doing some police training i'm doing a lot of a lot of personal training home protectors things like that so i'm really lucky to get to do that uh, if i take my old beat up body to the gym uh, <laughs> a few days a week and I still play some old guy basketball. That's oh, what, that's, so, what, that's what's allowing me to get to. Do. So do you train like any any dog? Like anybody can bring your dog in. Yeah, train? any breed really. Oh, uh, anything from a anything from a floppy ear, uh, floppy ear dog, a lab to a some kind of a doodle, which is really popular right now. Oh, a yeah. Golden doodle. Those are, I like those. Oh too. no, they're super popular. Oh, yeah. Or your or your pug to your German Shepherd to your Belgian Malinois. We're. Uh, we're, we don't really, there's not really anything. We won't, we won't come to you and get trained. And what's the name of your company again? Dog Up LLC. Dog Up LLC. I know you're on the Instagram, right? Yeah, we're at, we're at Dog, on Dog Up LLC uh, at Instagram. As we come to an end of this episode, it's another edition of War Stories. It's a little edition at the end of every episode where we ask our guests to talk about a call or just some crazy incident they responded to while on the job. On today's edition of War Story, we are very excited to have my co-host, 22-year retired law enforcement veteran, Sean, share one of his war stories. So, Sean, I'm all yours, buddy. During my time in K-9, we always had a good time hunting around the valley, looking and locating for bad guys. Uh, one particular night, uh, we had a crazy individual had broke into an uh, apartment and uh, taken off all his clothes and decided that he was going to rob some people inside their apartment. These unfortunate victims quickly gave up all their belongings and this uh, half-naked man uh, fled the scene. So I showed up with my canine partner at the time and I was a newer canine guy, so I was pretty excited to go hunt for a bad guy that had run run from the scene. The victims were very descriptive as far as the fact that he had no clothes and that he had run uh, westbound through the complex. Short while later, after we searched around and we looked we looked high and low for this gentleman, and he was nowhere to be found. As I'm getting ready to load up in my truck, I put my dog in the car. Uh, a, a call comes out that there is a naked man uh, robbing another individual just up the street at one of the hotels that was up the, just up from the apartment complex we were at. 
So I drive up there and I, I meet with this individual and he's sure the, the victim, he's shirtless. And I, I didn't think much of it, you know, being in the fact that we're in the desert and it's summertime. Right. And I said, uh, well, what did he, what did he take from you, sir? And he says, he just stole my shirt. I said, he, uh, well, he just took your shirt. He goes, yeah, he pointed a gun at me and took it, took my shirt. I said, okay. I said, where's the last place you saw him? I said, oh, he ran towards this parking garage. So I get my trusty canine partner out. We, uh, we head on over into the parking garage and we're searching through the cars. It's, it's three or four levels. We get we go all the way to the top and then there's one one bottom part that had to be uh, really had to be accessed by the the service the service people on property. But you could probably squeeze through there if you could. But it was easier to open it up to let m- myself and my dog in. So as soon as I get in there, uh, my dog starts to basically show me that there's somebody hiding in there. So I, I'm this guy's armed. We you know he meets the criteria for a, a off leash deployment. So I, I make some canine announcements telling them that I have a police dog and they should give up and all the nice things that go along with that and I I send my canine out to fight him and all of a sudden I hear a slight struggle behind this giant <laughs> trash compactor and I thought to myself what in the world is going on no screaming just like a struggle and I not my dog don't hear much all of a sudden this guy this half naked guy crawls out with my dog attached to his leg the patrol helps me take him into custody the crazy part was not the bite, wasn't the fact that he was hiding behind the trash compactor, that he didn't scream like most people do. Right. Uh, the funnier part was that the shirt he had stolen from the guy at gunpoint, he had made into a small bikini, a small <laughs> top for himself and a small bottom that didn't cover much. So that is probably that one, is... Of my, one of my one of my crazier war stories that uh, caught me off guard that the guy uh, went ahead and robbed another guy for a shirt and made it into basically a bikini. <laughs> That's being that's uh, thinking outside the box, though. If you really think about it, yeah, he went big on that. He right? really did. That is awesome, and then to have the time to sit there and like to put that together. Oh yeah, you know, and that, it was it was crazy. Even when the the crime scene folks came to take pictures, take pictures. of the bite, and they asked me where, where did he get that outfit, I I said he must have been a good Boy Scout. He oh, went ahead and, and and made that. That's awesome, man. That's a great story. That's that's probably one of the better ones yet so far. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome, man! I love it, love it. Well, listen, man. You know what? That that's what this this uh, this podcast and always responding is all all about. You know, veterans coming together like you and I sitting there talking and, and what we talked about earlier today in the in the podcast and with everything going on and uh, today and and trying to to bridge the gap between all the the stigma with suicide and but talking about that, but then also going back with reminiscing about things uh, that we've gone through in our, our past and stuff like that. And, you know, that's why we're here. That's why we're, you know, just talking and, and trying to help other first responders responders who are struggling with stress and dealing with trauma and finding the right connections to get them to the help they, they so desperately need and showing the respect to the fallen heroes that they most definitely deserve. Absolutely, you need, you have to have these uh, these resources and and to have to have these conversations. Some of these really funny war stories, whether it's something that you and I share amongst ourselves, or it's the the great guests we have on the show. Definitely, uh, definitely, it's just uh, it's it's just uh, a lot of times the humor that gets us through the day. No, hundred percent. With that being said, be sure to stop by our website at www.alwaysrespondingpodcast.com. Click on the tribute tab. There you can honor the recent fallen first responders that were read from this episode. There's also a resource tab on the website that you can find numerous resources available for all first responders and their families. There are so many organizations out there that are ready and willing to help us. All it takes is a phone call or an email. Again, they are on the website in the resource tab, www.alwaysrespondingpodcast.com. Thank you all for joining us on another episode of Always Responding. We truly appreciate every one of you for your continued support. Together, we can break down the stigma that surrounds suicide in the first responder community. We hope everyone has a long, safe, 
and healthy career. This is KB and Sean with Always Responding saying thank you and remember, as they would always say in that 80s cop show, let's, let's all be, be safe, safe out there. Hi, what's up?